Lord, we thank you that we serve the one true and the living God. We don't serve an unknown God. We know exactly who you are. We know what you've done for us. We know the high price you paid for us. And we count it a privilege. Jesus, you ransomed us back with your blood. And we can't thank you enough for it. So, Father, I ask you to give me your wisdom to break open the word of truth. Lord, I ask that you make it easy for the hearer. Help us to come up higher in you, to grow up in you, and to be conformed in your image today. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, the Lord wanted me to ask you a question. Do you judge him faithful (laughs) during hard times? Or are you suspicious of him? Think about that. What's suspicious? When you're suspicious, you show, you show caution or distrust, a feeling that something is wrong. A lot of people feel this way about God. Feeling of doubt, a lack of trust, feeling someone is guilty. And so it's, it's, uh, it's very important, the concept that you have of God, and that's what he wanted me to share with you today. Are you superstitious about him? Super, when you're superstitious, it's a belief or a practice resulting from ignorance. It's the fear of the unknown. And you can be superstitious of God and don't even know it, and that's because you don't know him. You hear about him, but you don't know him intimately. And so I'm just going to take my time. It's not the offering, so I ain't got to run through it. And I'm going to lay a foundation and just show you some examples of God's faithfulness. To show you the folks who judged him faithful and show you some folks that were suspicious and superstitious concerning God. And so one thing that the Lord wanted me to ask you is what, what does your mind default to? During hard times, you know what the default is. When you get a cell phone, you got default settings. When you first get a cell phone, everybody's phone has the same ringtone, the same text tone. So what does your mind default to in hard times? Do you blame God? God, why did you let this happen to me? God, what did I do wrong? All that little witchcraft thinking. What does your mind default to, suspicion or superstition? And it says your mind will default to the carnal mindset until it's renewed in God's word. Amen. So I'm going to give you our foundation scripture, and it's in James. And everybody knows that they can quote it, they can sing it. And so I had, I was praying about which translation, every, all of them were so good. And I said, well, Lord, just let me know in the morning which translation you want me to use. And then I got a new Bible this morning. Thank you, Shannon. <laughs> I said, well, okay, Lord. God is good. He's faithful. So he let me know which translation he wanted me to use. And so we're, our foundation scripture is going to come out of the book of James. So if everyone could turn to the book of James. And, I, and just so you know, I know everyone knows this. James is Jesus' brother. And so when he's, it's a little book, but James has a lot of wisdom if you listen to what he's saying. Because he did live with Jesus. And he did pick up on things. And so he has given us instruction that we as believers overlook every day. And so I'm going to read this in the Passion Translation. I'm going to start in verse 2, and I'm going to read through verse 8. And this is James talking. He says, My fellow believers, when when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, 
see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. You know, the other Bible says, consider it all joy. And so most people say, how can I consider it joy? Because, see, when we think of joy, we think of ha-ha, laugh, laugh, everything's funny, and that's not what joy is. Joy stays, joy stays the same during storms or sufferings. Joy anticipates God's outcome and no loss. Joy is contentment. And Paul talked to us about contentment in uh, Philippians 4.11. He said, I've learned in no matter what state I'm in, I've learned to be abased and I've learned to be abound. Whatever the need is, I learned how to have a lot and I've learned how to have a little and I still love God. He's still faithful and he's still good. That's what joy is. Contentment. You don't change. Even killed. It's not running around here giggling all the time. I just wanted to make that because, you know, God would, you know, that, that would sound kind of crazy. You're supposed to laugh at everything you go through. That's not what he's saying at all. Amen. And so anyway, I want to go on. It says, for you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up the power within you to endure at all times. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection unto every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. If anyone longs to be wise, ask of God who will give it. And so when what the James was telling everybody, because I know the translation said if you ask, you know, he'll give you wisdom. And so we think that's great. But he was telling us when you go through a trial and temptation, stay in joy Stay in anticipation that God is going to bring you out. And when you get slapped upside the head and don't know what to do, you go to God and get wisdom. And you say, this is where I am. This is what I'm going through. What is my next move, God? That's what he's talking about. Amen. I don't want to get ahead of myself, so I'll keep reading. So it says, if anyone longs to be wise, ask God for wisdom, and he will give it. You won't see your, he won't see you. He won't see your lack of wisdom as an opportunity to scold you. And that's what it means when he says, I will abrade you not. That means you keep going back to God. Okay, Lord, I'm in this situation. What do I do today? Okay, we got through today. How do I handle this tomorrow? So that means you, you sit down and you be child trained. And you get his wisdom to walk through this trial and this, and this suffering and this hard time that you're going through. So I'll read that again. He won't see your lack of wisdom as an opportunity to scold you over your failures. But he will overwhelm your failures with his generous grace. Just as, make, just as you make sure you ask empowered. Just, just as, uh, let me start over. Just make sure that you ask empowered by confident faith without doubting that you will receive. So when you go to God, know that, you, know that he hears you and he's going to answer you. And he wants to see you through this trial and this suffering and this hard place that you're in. For the ambivalent person believes one minute and doubts the next. Being undecided makes you become like the rough seas driven and tossed by the wind. You're up one minute, tossed down the next. When you are half-hearted and wavering, it leaves you unstable. Can you really expect to receive anything from the Lord when when you're in that condition? And so I'm just going to, he gave me an example to give you. So I'm going to give you this example, and we're going to look at David. Because David found himself in a trial and a temptation. You can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel 30. 
that's page 360. What are we talking about? We're talking about judging God faithful in hard times so that you can get the outcome that you are supposed to have. Before we go to, uh, before I read that, I made some notes. It says, when you judge God faithful during the trial and seek God's wisdom for direction, he will tell you step by step. When you are double-bounded through trials and suspicious of God, you will suffer lack and you will suffer loss. And so 1 Samuel 30, and we're gonna, I'm going to read verse 6 and 8. We all know the story of uh, David. He was uh, out fighting with his men, and when he came back to Ziklag, they were all gone. His family, his wives, his livestock, you know, all the men, their wives, children. And so I'm just going to read verse 6 and 8, 6 through 8. It says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of the people were grieved, every man for his son and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, why can't I talk this morning? (laughs) Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? See, this is David going to God for wisdom. How do I handle this trial and this situation that I'm in? Shall I overtake them? And he said to David, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake, and without fail you will recover all. And see, David recovered all because, first of all, he judged God faithful. He sought his wisdom and his instruction, and he recovered all. They even received spoils from their recovery, and they were able to tie to the elders. And so that's, uh, did I want to read that? Oh, verse 19. We can drop down to verse 19, and I'll show you that. It says, And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds that they had driven before them, other livestock, and said, This is David's spoil. And so in verse 26 talks about the fact that David had enough left over that he was able to tithe and bless the elders and bless the priesthood. And so this, David came into a test. He came into a trial. Noah doesn't say he was standing up there laughing. He actually said David started crying. But see, there was that contentment on the inside of him because he knew he could go to God and get God's wisdom, get his instruction, and he knew that he was not going to fail. Amen. And so that comes from spending time with the king. That comes from spending time with Jesus. So we're going to go back to James. We're still laying a foundation. So let's go back over to the book of James because he gave us, his brother gave us some more instructions. Because we all face things in life and the first thing the devil will do is accuse you and then he will start accusing God. Okay, verse 25. I'm going to read 12 through 25. It's a lot of reading today, but it's a lot of learning that the Lord wants us to see too. If your faith remains strong, even when you're surrounded by life difficulties, you will continue to experience the untold blessings of God. True happiness comes as you pass the test with faith. Because everything that we go through, folks, is just a test. 
and receive the victorious crown of life promised to every lover of God. When you are tempted, don't ever say, God is tempting me, for God is incapable of tempting you by evil, and he is never the source of your temptation. And so when we read that, I know when the the Holy Spirit was letting me know, he said that temptation that comes upon them, that's the devil telling them to quit. It's not tempting you with a woman or drugs or alcohol. It's the temptation to quit and consider God not faithful. That's the temptation he's talking about, to have a wrong ideal and a wrong perception of God. Because the Bible says what's not a faith is sin. So if you don't have faith in your big God, you're, you're in sin, and you're not going to recover all. Amen. It says, instead, it is each person's own desire and thoughts that drag them into evil and lures them away into darkness. Evil desires give birth to evil actions, and when sin is fully mature, it can murder you. So, my friends, don't be fooled by your own desires. And that means when you want to do things your way and not have God's wisdom and do things God's way. And that's what he's talking about. Every gift God freely gives us is good and perfect, streaming down from the Father of lights, who shines from the heavens with no hidden shadow or darkness. It is never subject to change. God was delighted to give us birth by the truth of his infallible word. So that you will fulfill his chosen destiny for us and become the favorite ones of all his creations. And what James is trying to tell us is get a good concept of who God is. God didn't create you to destroy you, to hurt you, and to allow the devil to make you sick. And so the the Holy Spirit reminded me of Ephesians 2.10. He says, remind them that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them and see when we go off to our own lust and our desires and we come up unfulfilled that's because you're doing what you want to do and we're not walking in the workmanship and the path that god has created for us to set us up for total success total success that's why we're here but see if you don't judge god faithful you'll think he's just a mean god he don't want you to have nothing he don't want you happy Wrong concept. Okay, I'm going to keep reading. It says, my dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Now, remember, this is Jesus' brother talking to us, and he's given us instruction how to live a victorious life by judging God faithful. He says, my dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Be quick to listen, but slow to speak. And be slow to become angry, for human anger is never a a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. So this is why we abandon everything morally impure and all forms of wicked conduct. Instead, with a sensitive spirit, we absorb God's word, which has been implanted within our nature, for the word of life has power to continually deliver us. And see, James is saying, as long as you count God faithful, spend time with him, get in his word, renew your mind, listen for his voice, don't be quick to talk. When you get in the presence of God, shut up, sit down, open your Bible, and listen. God has a good life for you. And it says, don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it, for that is the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. If you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, 
you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and you forget your divine origin. But those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty, you are fascinated and respond to the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessings in all that they do. And so he, James is saying, if you get in God's word, come out knowing who you are. Close your Bible. Meditate on what he said about you. You don't close your Bible and say, I'm sick. You close your Bible and you say, I'm healed. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All my bills are paid. God sees me prosperous. I look in the mirror and I see what you see, God. That's how you have a prosperous life. And so I just wanted to, this is our foundation for James. This is the instruction that he gave us. And so now the Lord wanted me to just show you some folks. We did the example of David, but he wanted me to show you the example of folks who didn't consider him faithful and who did come up with a lack and did come up with a loss. And so let me see. I just uh, think there was something that, uh, okay, I want to go over my notes. It says, when we endure temptation, that's the ability not to quit or blame God. Let your trial purify you, and you will come forth as pure gold. Stop blaming God. Judge him faithful. Bind the devil and cast down every wrong mindset. It was a pleasure for God to create us and make us in his image. And see, when you have a right mindset about God, why would he create you? You're made in his image. There's no failure in him. You look like him. You know, we're to do the works of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to go up to my father. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to pray for you. So the works that I did, you could do. And then you're going to be able to do more than I did because I'm up there with my father and I'm praying for you. That's who we are. That's the image. And so, but you've got to have, you've got to judge God faithful. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know what you look like. Amen. It was a pleasure for God to create us. Okay. And then I, so I'm going to go back to the example we did with David at Ziklag. And it says, remember David at Ziklag. He sought God's face. And he didn't try to reason with the men because you didn't remember the men were upset. They were mad. They were blaming David. They couldn't get to God. So you know how they, that is. You get to the one who's in charge. Well, if we weren't with you, David, out there fighting, they wouldn't have stole my wife and my kids and, my, and they wouldn't have burned my house down and all this and blah, blah, blah. And so he didn't, he didn't even try to reason with them. Yes, he was hurt. Yes, he cried. But it says David didn't retaliate against the men or God. Very important. He didn't get mad at God. But he sought God's wisdom. And that's what James told us to do. Ask of wisdom. He won't upbraid you. He won't make you feel like a failure because you're asking him for wisdom. And I went on to say the note says, don't be a hypocrite under pressure. Do the word. Transform your mind so you will know who you are. Because, see, that's the problem. The devil knows who God has created us to be. But when he knows that you don't know who you are, he has a field day. Man. Okay, so now we're going to use, I'm going to go to my first example, which is Job. And Job, we're going to go to Job chapter 1. Job is a long chapter, so we won't go over it. The whole thing, I'll just pull out what. So, 612. 
I did the Joyce Myers. I wrote my page numbers down in my notes. <laughs> okay, so Job chapter 1. And the, I'm going to do my reading and then I'll uh, come back and talk about everything so I don't get sidetracked. So the first thing I want to read is Job chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Oh, because I'm in Job chapter 2. Okay, Job 1, 4 and 5, read. Where's 4? Okay, so it talks about Job in his possessions. We all know that Job was a very rich man. And he had abundance. Okay, verse 4 says, And his sons will go and feast in their houses. Very important. Remember this. And his sons will go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run its course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And Job did this on a regular basis. Okay, so we're going to jump down to verse 7. Verse 7. So now this is the devil up in God's face. It says, so Satan answered the Lord and said, well, he, he asked Job, where you've been, what you've been doing, and all that. And so he said he was walking to and forth. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God, and he also shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and all around that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and all his possessions. You increased him in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on, that, on him. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord. And so I just want to pick up one thing. I hope you noticed that Job did all the repenting for his family, his kids. Job chapter 3. I won't read the whole chapter in 3, but you all know that come chapter, the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, Job lost his family. They were, you know, he, the tornado came through there. He lost his family. He lost all his possessions. And then Job chapter 3, the blameless guy that loves God. He cursed the day he was born. And he went on for a whole chapter saying, why was I, why was I born? Why am I here? My mother, basically, my mother and father should have went to sleep that night. Why did she have milk in her breast to even feed me? And so then, and then verse 24, I'm just going to read that part. It says, for my sighing comes before I eat. And so that means, Lord, I'm in so much pain and anticipation before I even eat. All I do is groan and grumble because I'm so miserable. And my groanings pour out like water. And then this is very important. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. And what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease. Nor am I quiet. I have no rest for trouble comes. 
So Job is saying, I'm miserable. You put me here to suffer, and this is what I got to go through. Okay, so now we're going to jump over to chapter four, chapter 40. We know that all of Job's wonderful friends show up, and they encourage him in his test and in his trial. And so God has had enough. So we're going to jump over to Job chapter 40, and then I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. And God showed up, and the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and says, Now prepare yourself like a man. So basically, I'm here now, Job. You've been doing all this complaining, all this whining, all this whimpering. I'm here now. I will question you, and you answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? So in other words, you're trying to tell me I didn't know what I was doing when I created you? Would you condemn me so that you can be justified? You're going to make me look bad so that you can be right? Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn, then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor. So basically he went on and on and he read Job the riot act. And he let him know what was right and what was wrong. So let's jump over to verse 42. I'm just, you know, I want to go over the important things. It says in verse 42, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. See, now he done came to a senses because God done told him what he did, how he did it, what he can do, and all that Job can't do. And he's let Job know, now you've been blaming me. You're trying to make me look bad so that you can be right in front of your friends. And now Job is saying, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be without, withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. So in other words, I've been running my mouth talking about you, Lord, and I see I don't know you at all. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you from the beginning, from the hearing of my ear. It's in other words, see, I heard about you, but I don't know you. And see, that's what James was telling us, you know, get, get with God, get to know him, get some wisdom. I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Let me see if I want to stop there. And then I'm going to go over to verse 8 and verse 10. Verse 8 says, now, therefore, take for yourself. Okay, so, okay, I'm sorry. So what we we read is Job repented. And then verse 8, God starts back talking to Job. And he says, now, therefore, take for yourself seven bulls, seven rams. Go to my servant Job. This is he's talking to his friends now because now he's on double back on them because they don't know him either. They're full of religion and hypocrisy also. And so now he's doubled back on his friends. He said, therefore, take to yourself seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer for yourself burnt offerings that my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly. He said, you go to Job and let him sacrifice and repent for you because other than that, you don't want me to deal with you. But if he prays to me for you, I'll listen to him because he's already repentant. Because you have not spoken of me what is right 
as my servant Job has. And so that's what he was saying in essence. Job has repented. So now you go to him because I, I, you, can't, you, you don't want to hear from me. <laughs> okay, and so and then it says, so they did that. Job sacrificed. He restood in the gap. He repented for his, his friend's sins, his, his sins. And the Lord, verse 10, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. He restored his losses. And I want to see if I want to read any more before I go into my notes. And it says, yeah, I do. I'm going to start here in verse 12. It says, now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep. So it talks about all the sheep he had. You know, he had another set of kids. And then after that, Job lived 140 years. He saw all his children and grandchildren for four generations. When Job died, he was old and he was full of age. And so this is what I wanted uh, that the Lord was showing me about Job not judging God faithful. And he used Abraham to me as an example because the Bible says that Abraham commanded his family in the ways of the Lord. And you saw that with Abraham also. He judged God faithful because when it came time for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and showed, show God who his allegiance was with. You know, he had been praying for Isaac. And the test came. Take him and go sacrifice him. But Abraham judged God faithful. Tied him down. And Isaac kept saying, Lord, where's the, uh, where's the sacrifice? Why you tied me down? And he kept saying, Lord, God will provide. He judged God faithful. It, and I don't know how he judged. I don't know if he thought if I kill him, God will raise him up. I don't know what he thought. But he knew one thing. He was going to obey God. He was not going to put his son before God. He knew God was faithful. He knew God gave him a promise that he'd be a father of many nations. Isaac was the first one. He was sure more was coming. He judged God faithful. And God, you know, he provided a ram and a thicket. So anyway, it says, I know Abraham will direct his family in the way of the Lord. See, and that's why Abraham came out on top. But the contrast was, Job was obviously, he was obviously a priest that God had chosen, but he didn't obey God. Instead, Joe, instead of Job instructing his family in the ways of the Lord, as Abraham did, he was in constant fear and suspicion of God. Because remember in the beginning I said, are you suspicious of God or do you judge him faithful? Job always repented for his children instead of teaching his kids to respect, serve, and obey God. And then where it talks about Job's wife, I didn't read that part, but y'all know that part, that famous line, stop being a hypocrite, Job, curse God and die. You know, Job's wife in essence said, quit being a hypocrite. Curse God and die. Let me see. You don't really love God, and you don't respect God. If you did, you would have served him and not been so superstitious or fearful of him. Job, you don't know God. Go on and curse him and die. And that's what she was saying to him because she saw that he wasn't living an upright life. He was a do and a don't. Do and don't. Religion. Form of godliness would deny the power. Job was full of fear and suspicion. He said everything that I fear and dread has happened to me. Why was I born, he was saying. 
Why did you set me up for failure? It's basically what he told God. Job didn't love God. You know why? Because perfect love cast out fear. And that comes from spending time with God like Adam did, always walking with God in the cool of the day, fellowshipping with him and getting to know him. Job didn't know God because he didn't spend time with him. He was fearful. He didn't obey the call of God on his life. God challenged Job. He said, first of all, get up and get dressed and respect my presence. You have judged me unfaithful. You want to make yourself weak and innocent and a victim and make me look like I'm evil. He says, you repent and you obey me from your heart and not from your lips. Because see, Job was quick to say that he knew the right thing to say. Praise the Lord. He's worthy. But didn't know him, didn't love him, didn't trust him, suspicious of him. Thought he was a mean God. And I says, when you don't, when you don't operate in faith towards me, you are in sin. And I talked about that because what's not a faith is sin. And it says, and so God told Job, you get up and you obey me. And you instruct your wife in the way that y'all should go. Perform your priestly duties. Sacrifice for your friends because of their sin and wrong judgments. Pray for them. Obey me so you can have the life that I ordained for you to have. See, he didn't think God had a good life for him. Job was not a doer of the word. And see, James talked about that. He said, don't be a doer of the word. He said, you, you know, don't be just a hearer of the word. Do it. And see, Job was a hearer. He didn't do the word. And he suffered loss. And that's what James warned us about. It says, so because of God's mercy and grace and his love toward Job, he allowed him to repent and to start over and be restored and get double what he lost. And that's why it's so important for us to judge God faithful. Amen. And so I have another I have another uh, example of judging God faithful. So we looked at Job, and it's important. You know, it's when God has called you and chosen you, I don't care if it's to be an intercessor, fivefold ministry gift, the, the basic believer's ministry should keep you busy. Yes, Casting out devils, speaking in tongues, laying hands on the sick. We all got work to do. And when you judge God faithful and get about doing what he has has set aside for you to do, you will have a good life. you got to judge God faithful. So anyway, Luke 15, that's page 12, 12, 56. And so we're going to look at a dad who did judge God faithful. This is the famous story about the prodigal son. I'm going to read 1 through 20. And this is the son. He came to his dad. Okay. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So the father divided to him, so divided to him his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. 
But when he had spent all that he had, there he arose in severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, and I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And that's important. That boy said, I have sinned against God and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is what he was rehearsing. He was repenting to God. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he was rehearsing as Lord, you know. And he arose and he came to his father. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So we know that as we go on and on, the you know, the father welcomed him back, killed the fattest calf, had them come out with robes and jewelry. So he restored the boy. And so, but before I read any further, I just want to go over our notes. And this is a father that judged God faithful. This prodigal son's father was a godly man, and he instructed his family in the ways of God. And you say, how do you know that? Because when that boy knew that he had came to the end of his rope, he looked up and he repented to God. So there was a seed inside of him that had been planted by his father. He had been instructing his family in the ways of God. When his son left, he had faith in God, and he saw him coming home a great way off. Did he see him in a vision? Did God, you know, encourage his heart? I don't know. Was he looking for him every day in anticipation, in faith? I don't know. But see, there was a faith on the inside of him because he trusted God. Not his son. He didn't, he didn't fall off his face because of what he saw his son doing, sleeping around, drinking, the things that embarrass us as parents. He didn't get mad at God and back up. He stayed on his faith because he considered God faithful. And see, Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. And see, the lost son came to himself. And when he came to himself, that's the incorruptible seed of the word of God on the inside. Amen. That was that training of all those years. Their dad living an upright life, putting the word inside of them, you know, giving them God's wisdom, teaching them how to work. That incorruptible seed, it started talking to that boy. And that's the same seed that's the Holy Spirit that talks to us when we mess up. And it talks to our kids when they rear off and get, I call it, temporary insanity. Amen. And it says the, let, the lost son came to himself. That's the incorruptible seed of the word of God that started talking to him. And this is what it started saying. Your dad is a man who loves and serves God. Your dad is a fair and an honest man. And there's another translation, that, and when the boy was talking about his, his uh, dad's servants, there's a translation that said that his dad feeds his servants three hot meals a day. And so he, and the boy started going over that. You know, the Holy Ghost started talking to him. He's a man of God. He didn't withhold from you. 
He gave you what he had. He gave you unconditional love. Look at how he treats his servants. They have three hot meals. You've been working for this person. They ain't even offered you nothing to eat or drink. You'd be willing to stoop down and eat the slop that the pigs are eating. And your dad has his service sitting at a table. Treating them with dignity and royalty. Look at how you're living. That's that incorruptible seed. It won't fail. It won't return void. It'll remind you of what God has said. And that's why the son said, I've sinned against heaven. Some translations said, I've sinned against God. And he put God first because that's what he saw his father do. He saw his father live a life where God came first. And then, the, and then it, you know, we go down and the older brother shows up and he's like, what in the world? Why are you doing all this for him? And then that love, that God comes up inside the father and he takes time with the elder brother. And he said, do you know what you're looking at? Your brother was dead. Now he's alive. He's repentant. This is what God does to us when we mess up. He restores us. He don't cast us aside. You know what I'm saying? So God is, he's so good. He's so faithful. And see, God, that father judged God faithful. And he didn't lose like Job did. Yes, Job got more kids. But if he had been obeying his priestly duties, judging God faithful, raising his kids to the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and letting them know you're sinning against God. You don't live like heathen like this and drink and party and have all this stuff going on. You see how God has blessed us, what he's done for us, and this is how you repay him? You live like heathens? No, he didn't confront his kids. He covered for them and lost them. Amen. See, he, when you have more God in you, you, won't, you, don't want, you don't care if your kids get mad at you as long as you're in right standing with God. But Job wanted everything to look right. Amen. And see, Dad, he didn't lose his son because he judged God faithful. Amen. Miss Tanya, how much? Oh, is she over there? No. I, uh, I didn't know how much time I had. I, I wanted to talk about Miss Abigail because she judged God faithful also. But then I had a testimony about Joshua and uh, how we had to judge God faithful. And so I'll go ahead and, and do Joshua's testimony and then if I have time, then I'll, I'll just I'll work with Miss Abigail. And so, <clears throat> so this is uh, my my boy Josh. And so uh, Josh has what one more month of school. And uh, and so let Amen, Amen. <laughs> yeah, after you hear this testimony, it's like woof. So okay, so anyway, I'm gonna give because we had to judge God faithful. And so, uh, so I'm going to give my Josh's testimony. So Joshua's senior year, uh, he was, you know, playing football. And one day I actually got a new, well, actually I walked in the high school office. And somebody was congratulating me. And I said, why? And they said, Joshua made all-star. And I was like, oh, great. And I was like, what's that? And, uh, <laughs> and he was like, oh, that's when they pick, like, the best players from different schools, and they play in an all-star game, and you compete against other schools that's outside your conference. And I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty amazing. Okay. And so Josh and two other his football buddies, were um, they were chosen to be in the all-star game. And so that was, that was good. I want to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. 
And, you, you know, you have to be chosen. You have to be invited. So that was good. So this game was approaching. And as this game was approaching, Joshua's coach had been trying to call me all day. And I'm thinking, wow, what's going on? Why is Coach Voorhees trying to call me? And, he, and then he told Josh, he said, I need to do a three-way. I need to talk to you. And I need to talk to your parents. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord. And so anyway, uh, so finally we did our three-way with Coach Voorhees. And he said, hey, I just, because Joshua was chosen to play. I, I know I'm going to mess it up, so I'm just going to pick. Joshua was chosen to play on the south. And that's the one he qualified for. But a coach from the north called Coach Voorhees, and he said, I had a player that was eliminated. I got an open spot. I remembered your player, Josh Dillard. Do you think he'd want to participate in our all-star game for the north? And Voorhees was like, yes. <laughs> he said, well, let me talk to you. Let me do a three-way. I got to talk to Josh. I got to talk to his parents and blah, blah, blah. It'll be a little bit of traveling because this game was in Dayton and all that. And, and so, uh, so anyway, we, we went ahead and did that, and that was a blessing because actually the, the game the, the game that he qualified for, that was really nice. It was, you know, our side of the, our, our side of the country, our side of the, you know, that west side, you know, Bellevue area. Um, I see Bellevue and all that going that, that way, Galleon, and going towards, you know, that area. And so it was nice. We had a really good time with them. They took us all, all out to dinner. We went to Bellevue. We went to the Amish uh, buffet. And they treated us all real good and served us. And it was a nice opportunity for those young men. They were treated like royalty. And the game where they remembered Josh and the coach invited him to play, it was in Dayton. We actually ate dinner at the Marriott. And they had gifts for all the players. They had watches and, you know, just nice stuff, pictures. I mean, they, it, when you walked in there, it looked like five-star dining. And, they're all, and where the football players were sitting, they all had their watches sitting there and all their gifts. And it was just, it was awesome. Josh made lifelong friends with these young men. And uh, so anyway, they won both sides. The North won, the South won. And so the one uh, team where he was Ernest's position there were some scouts there from some of the colleges, and they sat with us. I didn't know who they were. I thought they were just friends of Coach Voorhees. And so, uh, so anyway, I knew it was a lot of us sitting together in Dayton, and, you know, we all had a good time, and they won, like I said. And so then uh, we, Joshua was accepted at Bluffton. He was going to go there and play football. And we got to Bluffton, and we pulled up. All the coaches were standing outside. They were waiting on us to park. I was like, are they waiting on us? And Joshua said, I think so. So we went in. They, you know, rolled out the red carpet and gave us a tour. We, we ate together, you know, very nice dinner, a very nice lunch. And we spent the day in, in uh, Bluffton. And we, you know, we were very much excited, very much excited. And I want to make sure I, would, I didn't miss anything. And so, uh, so we go to Bluffton. So Joshua graduates. We have our grad party. And the day after his grad party, Bluffton called and said, we can't find his SAT scores. And I said, what do you mean? So then I called the high school, and um, Mrs. Lavengood, she said, well, I sent them in the certified letter. Why didn't they get them? And so I said, I don't know. And so nobody could find them. Nobody could trace them. They said, well, okay, have them take the test over. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord. <laughs> so anyway, now Josh was all nervous, so he took the test over. And his scores weren't high enough. And then he took the test over again. And Bluffton kicked us to the curb. (laughs) 
And we, you know, so we've had the grad party. We've had his graduation. And I remember sitting there at the computer. Oh, let me back up. When I said those coaches were there at one of those all-star games, they started talking to Coach Voorhees about Josh coming to Urbana. And Voorhees said, well, he's already going to Bluffton, but that's his parents' call. So anyway, they kept calling the house. I kept putting them off. Well, he's going to Bluffton. It's a beautiful school. they got a million-dollar training facility. I mean, it would look like how the athletes, like the real professional NFL players train. It was somebody donated the money to the college, and it was a million-dollar workout area. The the stainless steel ice baths, because, you know, you call Josh. Josh, what you doing? I'm getting iced. So they had all... (laughs) They had the ice baths and all this. It was state-of-the-art. So I kept saying, no, he's going to Bluffton. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so anyway, uh, I, I forgot about that. So anyway, Joshua was sitting there at the computer crying. And I said, I don't know where you're going, but you're going to college. This is not the end of the story. I said, so you're going to get up, pack your clothes, and act like you're going somewhere. I don't know where you're going. And I started praying, and the Holy Spirit reminded me, will you please call that secretary that's been calling you every day? And I called her, and I was like, hi, this is Nola Dillard. And she, Josh's mom. I said, yes. I said, we've had, you know, I didn't know how to say it. I just said, we've had some issues. And she said, well, we're a Division II school. We don't need all the SAT scores, you know, so we don't need all that. And I said, oh, and she said, uh, so what do we need to do now? She said, so let's get the paperwork started and blah, 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 blah. And needless to say, Joshua has one more month of college. But we had to judge God faithful. It looked like he wasn't going. I mean, you know, he could have went to, you know, Tri-C. Or, but as far as that football scholarship and having his tuition paid, it looked like that door had totally closed. And I, and I saw the devil laughing. Like, ha-ha, you thought, you thought, you you thought, you thought, you thought. But you know what? God had a plan. And God is so faithful. Every year we had a miracle. I mean, every semester we had a miracle. Because I'm going to be honest with you, the first time the bill came in, I said, well, I didn't know his tuition was $30,000. I said, Lord, I'm glad I didn't know. (laughs) Every year it got paid. One year the coaches called me and he said, well, Josh called. He said, hey, my coach just called. They recalculated our bill. We don't owe them money. They owe us money. <laughs> and I'll be honest, one time we were short. Daniel paid the bill. <laughs> and so, I mean, we've had miracles. We've had miracles after miracles, but we judge God faithful. And when I saw him sitting there and I, and I felt like the devil was laughing, I said, uh-uh, you going to school. You pack. You get and basically I told him what God told Job. You get up and array yourself like a football player and act like you're going somewhere. But we judge God faithful. And I didn't know what our next step was. I you know, I just I'd really set it to encourage him. And at the same time I felt like God wouldn't was not gonna let me down. I don't care where he went. You know, because we didn't even consider we said, Well, maybe he'll go to a junior college for a year and then, you know, but God said, no, he's going he gonna to start and he's going to finish. And that's exactly what he did. And so I do, I, you know, yeah, we fall and we get in unbelief. But at the end of the day, judge God faithful. That's, judge him faithful.
And so Job had great losses when he judged God as mean, undeserving. And so we've all been there, but we can all change. Amen. Amen. How much time do I have, Miss Tanya? Oh, Lord. That's like a, another half hour. Okay. <laughs> well, I did want to talk about Abigail. I'll talk about her real quick. And uh, But we all know, uh, you don't have to turn to it, but it's, I'll talk about Miss Abigail because the Lord actually reminded me. It's not like I sit up and think about her. The Lord, the Lord reminded me of some people who judged him faithful. And he said Abigail did. And Abigail, you know, she was the wife of Nabal. The, the Bible ta- describes her as a sensitive woman and also very beautiful. I know Pastor Var refers to her as a prophetess which she has all the attributes of a prophetess because she prophesied to David. And so David took care of Nabal's men when they were out shearing sheep. They were like a fortified wall around them. He protected Nabal's men. He knew who they were. But, you know, David was a man of integrity, and he saw that they were out there without any protection. So David and his men protected these men. So now was the time of celebration, and David wasn't far. And he asked, he said, hey, I'm the guy that protected your men. Can you share some of your celebration with us? And Nabal, Abigail's husband, was basically like, who are you? This is my stuff. Basically, I'm the king of this castle. All that's coming through this door, I, I worked for it, I earned it, and I deserve it, and I ain't sharing nothing with nobody. And so one of the servants went back and told David, basically, he said, no. <laughs> and David, that warrior, rose up on the side of him. And he said, okay, cool, we're going to kill him and his household. But one of the servants, probably somebody that works very close with the prophetess, Someone that could confide in her, knew how to approach her. And he said, let me tell you what Nabal did. We are in trouble. And, you know, she, and I like uh, Abigail because the Bible says she was a sensitive woman. So that man, she spent time with God. You had to. His name means fool. She was married to a fool. And he was mean, drunk a lot, arrogant. But see, there was, she judged God faithful. She went inside. And she knew, how, she knew how to create her. I'm just going to say this word. She knew how to create her own utopia between her and God. She knew how to have a rich lifestyle and peace because God was her companion. And her servants knew that and saw that. And he went to her. He said, Nabal has messed up now because David, the warrior, the one who's killed, blah, 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 blah. He said he on his way to kill us because your husband won't show him a kindness, won't return a kindness that he first showed us for no reason at all. And she was like, oh, Lord. She said, clean out the refrigerator, clean out the freezer, <laughs> haul that food out of here, mount me up a donkey, and I'm on my way. And she went out there, the intercessor, and she stood in the gap for her foolish husband and repented. And she said, I take full responsibility because I'm the woman of the house. I should have extended my hospitality, and I didn't. And I ask you to please forgive me and pardon me, because, David, I know who you are. You're a man of greatness. You are a man that has been falsely accused. You've been rewarded evil for all the good you've done. And one day you're going to come into your own kingdom, and you will be king, and they'll bow down before you. And everything that you worked so hard for, you're going to get it. 
So I just ask you to remember me when you come into your kingdom. Please accept my gifts and have mercy on my family and spare our lives. And David said, I will. And thank you for reminding me who I am. She said, David, don't lower yourself to my husband's level. You're a priest. You're a king. My husband is a fool. Don't go down to his level. Stay up high, David. You're a man who seeks, you know, you're a man who chases after God's heart. He loves you. His eye is on you. So don't act like a fool because of my husband's foolishness. And he thanked her. He said, thank you for reminding me of who I am. And he took her gifts and he left. And she went home. And the next day when he was sober, she entreated her husband. And, you know, and I, one thing the Holy Spirit was showing me when he said she spent time with me because, first of all, she could have, could have gotten kicked out of her palace because of disobeying her husband. Because you remember when Vashti wouldn't come to her husband when he, you know, Vashti was, you know, that's who uh, Esther married. You know, Esther took her place. <laughs> and so, uh, so when you disobeyed your husband or the king or the whoever's in charge, you know, she could, Abigail could have lost everything because he could have got in her face and said, you did what? I already said he wasn't getting nothing. But see, she had so much confidence in God, she said, let me tell you what I did. Because she knew God had her back because she knew him. She said, let me tell you what I did yesterday while you was drunk. I saved our life. I went to David and I blessed him because he showed us a kindness and we didn't deserve it. And the Bible says that he went stiff. (laughs) Then after many days, he did die. And see, the Lord had already showed Abigail, David's going to come into his kingdom one day. He's going to rule it all. And see, he remembered. And then when David found out that Nabal was dead, he said, go get her. I want her for my wife. She here from God. She, and she pretty? He said, go get her. And she got five of her handmaidens. They loaded up. And she said, I'd be honored. She said, but you know what? I would be honored to wash his feet and his servants. I ain't got to be his wife. I just want to be in the house. But, he, but God said, no, you're going to come up higher. You're going to be David's wife. Amen. Because, see, she judged God faithful, and she knew there was, he had a victorious future ahead of him, and she knew she was going to be a part of it. So Abigail judged God faithful. Amen. So that's all I have. I just want to say judge God faithful because he is faithful. And uh, put him first. It is never what it looks like. I, you know, when Pastor Shirley did the offering today, it was so true what she said. So put him first. That's all I got. Amen.